Welcome to Fucking Cancelled, a podcast about what the left is like, what to do about it, and what it'll be like once we've done it. In today's episode, we discuss policies that uphold cancel culture and strategize ways to organize opposition to them. So welcome back to fucking cancelled. Welcome back to fucking cancelled. I'm having an existential crisis. <laughs> Jay's having a bit of an existential crisis, but that's fine. We accept that here. Yeah, I'm having a weird day, but it's okay. We need to bring the pod to the people. Yeah. Um, we are currently in Vancouver. We've been traveling for a bit in Vancouver. Um, and we have not been giving you guys enough podcast episodes, so we are getting our shit together today to bring you guys an episode. Yeah. Um, before we get into it, I just want to say a couple announcements. So, first of all, we want to remind you guys about the Patreon. Um, so patreon.com slash fucking canceled with two L's and canceled. Um, this is a way for you guys to support the podcast if you believe in what uh, we're doing. I would say that um, maybe a small component of Jay's existential crisis is just how fucking hard it is to be um, basically putting our necks on the line constantly talking about this stuff. It's very stressful and like hard on our mental health to be um, vocal opponents of this dysfunctional culture on the left um we believe in it and like we believe in the work that we're doing on this podcast very strongly and we have seen a huge amount of change um since we've started doing this work and since others have started doing this work but it's definitely still really fucking hard um so help us out (laughs) yeah it's definitely less hard when we're getting paid. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so anyways, yeah, definitely uh, it helps us, and it helps us pay for shit, too, because podcasts are fucking expensive, as it turns out. Uh, yeah, and so we are going to be posting, um, we post various writings on there, and there's, like, different um, behind-the-scenes stuff that you can get access to, and one of the other things that I wanted to mention is that um, we have been talking about doing a book project. Yeah, we were, like, writing an outline, and, like, I wrote part of an intro that I think is, like, yeah. pretty good. Yeah, and you should put that on the Patreon. Yeah, yeah, we'll put that on the Patreon. Um, and yeah, but we are looking for press, because it's, like, not as straightforward as you might think to get a book like that published. Um, and so, yeah, if anybody has any leads or knows anybody who works for press who would be a good contact, or if you happen to run a press and you would like a book like this, um, yeah, we're basically, we want to write a book about like all the topics that we talk about on the pod, um, and we want to get it out there and like, yeah, like Clementine has like self-published a lot of stuff and like we, you know, could self-publish it, but it's not what we want to do. Like we would rather use a press and get it out there. Yeah. Basically putting, uh, hundreds of books into envelopes is a huge amount of work. And also we want this book to be available in stores. We want it to be widely accessible because we really think these ideas are important and we want them to be available to people. So definitely if you happen to know anyone who works at a press who might get behind a controversial book project such as this, um, please get in touch with us. You can email us at fuckingcancelled at gmail.com. Um, know you in fucking two L's in cancelled. 
And you could also find us on uh, Instagram on our our uh, fucking canceled Instagram account um, is another way to get in touch with us. Yeah. Um, I think. Well, I just wanted to say that like we are also going to be um, as we work on that project, we'll probably be posting a bunch of that on the Patreon as well. Yeah, true. So if you're interested in you know a fucking canceled book and you want to be around for the behind the scenes process of that book as we inevitably write and then scrap a whole bunch of stuff because I'm sure that we will. Mm-hmm. Um, you can gain access to all of that on the Patreon. So that's another reason yeah. to sign up. Yep. Yeah, and speaking of writing, um, I have a newish zine, uh, and you can buy it on our Big Cartel. Yeah. Um, Which is fucking canceled.bigcartel.com. Yeah. And also on there, we have. Um, well, we're about to have some new stickers. Um, we have three new sticker designs, which uh, we will. You will find out about soon when, yeah. we, when we put them up. They are at my home in Montreal, so as soon as we get back, I will take them out of the boxes, and we'll take some pictures, and we will announce to you all what the new sticker designs are. And we love seeing our stickers around <laughs> yeah. uh, the world. So totally. And if you, definitely buy some. if you haven't checked out the store yet, like the way that it works is basically... You know, you can buy, like, a sticker for two bucks, but I can't remember what the exact pricing is, but you get, like, how many for, like, like a hundred stickers is, like... Way cheaper. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. But it's basically, like, for much less money, you can buy, like, bulk. A fuck ton of stickers. Yeah. yeah. And so the idea is, is that if you are living in a, a cancel town um, and you <laughs> hate it, <laughs> this can be a way of letting everybody know that you hate it without them necessarily knowing that it's you. <laughs> um... <laughs> Yeah, which we support. Yeah. Um, Okay, so let's get into the episode. Um, Today's episode is basically about taking a proactive approach to challenging cancel culture, and in particular to to challenging um, cancel culture as it manifests in the policies of various organizations, collectives, publishers, institutions, various events, etc. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast has noticed this, but you know, cancellations often start out like basically being, um, you know, being pushed by individuals and then groups of individuals and stuff. But often um, they then take on this like institutionalized component where various organizations, especially like kind of lefty organizations will jump on it. Um, often, you know, yeah, like like Clementine was just saying, it could be publishers, collectives, like all kinds of different groups like that. Um, they'll start taking part, you know, and it might not necessarily be that they're, you know, jumping on their social media to like share accusations and stuff, although that does sometimes happen for sure. But it can be just things like them saying, oh, well, we've received like this like vague anonymous accusation about this person and therefore that person is, you know, uh, banned from an event or they're not welcome to like come to our building or like whatever it is. You yeah. Know what I mean? And I'm... This is important because I think a lot of people who are sort of like cancel culture doesn't exist or cancel culture isn't that big of a deal, they don't understand the very material and offline effects of cancel culture, which manifest in a number of different ways. But one of the ways that they manifest is getting banned and kicked out of many spaces um, and opportunities that might have previously been open to you. And so... I know that all the canceled people who are listening to this podcast are nodding their heads and they understand and have probably had um, experiences like this already, but I'll just give like two quick examples from my own um, canceled experience that, that illustrate this point. One, one is like, I was supposed to have a book coming out um, and I had a signed contract with like a pretty large press and then they got word of some specific aspect of my cancellation and panicked and 
basically dropped me. Um, they said that they could not go forward with it because they are working on a policy about what the press should do about people like me, basically. Right. Um, and I wrote them a strongly worded letter um, explaining why this was entirely inappropriate. Um, but then I later found out that they had actually like publicly taken part in the cancellation of one of their own authors who they had already published. And so I was like, wow, if I had known that, I wouldn't have even wanted to be published by this press in the first place because I really don't agree with that behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's one um, example. And it's it's why I have been, you know, entirely self-published for the most part um, and definitely since, only since canceled. It's why we're looking for a brave press to take on this book. Yeah. Um, another example is that I was... Um, so I, I write zines, right? And one thing that zinesters do is we table at fairs, right? And so I, since my cancellation, have not done that. Also, COVID has been a thing, so there there hasn't been as many, but th- fairs and things are starting to happen again. Um, and I basically decided to just, like, apply to table at a fair, even though I know that the chances of me being banned from places is really high. And I was accepted. Um, it's not in my city, so I was like, maybe they're not as aware that I'm controversial. Maybe they don't care. I don't know. So I got accepted. And then a couple days before I was leaving to travel to go to the fair, I received a panicky email from the collective telling me that it had been brought to their attention, um, that I am, whatever, canceled, problematic in whatever way, um, that there are various accusations against me. And so therefore, they let me table that year, but they said... Um, basically that they would have to like check me out at the fair and that I would possibly not be welcome back next year. Right. Which is <laughs> so fucking rude. <laughs> so fucking rude, man. <laughs> yeah. And like very stressful. I'm like, okay, so I have to go here knowing that people are like, you know, quite hostile towards me. Anyway, those are just two small examples. I'm sure many people listening have their own experience of this. It's very common. Um, so just to be sort of concrete, to give listeners an example of what these type of policies can look like, um, we're going to pull up a real example um, and talk about it, but we're not, like, this is just an example of many, and you should obviously know that these type of policies exist both explicitly and implicitly all across the nexus. It's not just this one um, event that we're going to be talking about, so... yeah. We're not trying to put this event on blast, um, but we are a, a case study. It's a case study, but we are we are challenging their um, their public policy, which you can find on their website. So, basically, Montreal, where we're from, has an anarchist book fair. It's um, it's a book fair that I have tabled at many times over the years. Mm-hmm. It's actually Absolutely. it's actually something that I used to really enjoy going to, um, and it hasn't happened since COVID. But they've just announced that they're going to be having it again, um, which is very exciting. Except that I 100% know that I'm. If I'm not already on some kind of ban list, I definitely would be as soon as my name was announced. Like, somebody would definitely say something. Yeah. Um, Same. And so, basically, um, that sucks. (laughs) So, I was just thinking about this, and I looked up on their website um, their official, what they call, exclusions policy. (laughs) Um, And I'm going to read it now. So, you can find this at anarchistbookfair.ca under exclusions policy. Without exception, the organizing collective responsible for the Montreal Anarchist Book Fair communicates to people who have been identified to us as abusers that they are excluded from our event. As volunteer book fair organizers, we are not equipped with the resources to provide mediation between parties or seek to resolve conflicts. If the party who originally requested the exclusion notifies us to withdraw that request, the collective will discuss the issue and possibly communicate to the excluded party that their exclusion has ended. So basically what that says, 
um, is that if someone accuses someone else to the collective of being an abuser, that person is now definitely being framed as an abuser. Without exception. Without exception. Um, and they will be banned from the event. Um, it also says that the collective does not have the um, organizing capacity or resources to mediate or seek to resolve conflict. Um but they are still positioning themselves as basically capable of taking all accusations at face value and, you know, like establishing serious consequences for those accusations. Yeah, for sure. And also to be clear here, um, this is not just excluding people from tabling at the fair. It's excluding people from attending yeah. in any form. Yeah. Um, and then it's also saying that even if the accuser basically asks for the ban to be lifted, that the fair like withholds, like they, they hold the final say. So they may lift the ban if the accuser says so, and they may not. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's like a very direct, um, and like blunt policy that they have written out on their website. There's definitely, um, you know, many organizations that, that enact policies such as these that might not have it on their website in such a blunt form. Like the other um, fair that I was just talking about, like I went and checked their website and they don't have an official policy on their website, but they did do the same thing to me. Yeah. Honestly, what's unusual about this policy is not um, its content, but rather that it's so explicit. Yeah. Like that they say it so explicitly because most, a lot of like, I would say a lot, if not most Nexus organizations and institutions have this policy. They just don't announce it. Yeah. It's, it's like implicit rather than explicit. Yeah. And so I'm sure, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And just the policy like simplified is just that all accusers are believed and all accusations are translated into exclusion. Yeah. Or even somebody told me that they, um, had asked the collective about this and said, what if two people accuse each other? And they said, well, we would ban both people. So that's just hearsay. Like, I can't confirm nor deny that. But basically, if that's the case, it's not even necessarily that all accusers are believed. It's more so just that they're like, we don't want to deal with this. And so it's easier just to ban people. Well, all accusations are just treated as true. Like, Yeah, even if they're contradictory. Yeah. Yeah, which doesn't make sense. Of course. But... So basically it's saying, you know, we don't have the capacity to weigh in on this. And so it's, it's just better. It's in everybody's best interest if we just ban the person. Yeah. Um, and also I'm going to say that I think that like the reason why they have this policy is because people have pressured them and there's been such a norm within the nexus for so long, um, of which like the, the Montreal anarchist scene is definitely like a thousand percent super within the nexus. Um, there's been such a norm within the Nexus for so long that like the the good and normal thing to do is to always believe accusations and to always exclude people who are accused. Yeah. That like they're th- this this policy is them like sort of like bowing to the pressure that they have been put under for sure to do that. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And like again, with as with all cancellation stuff, like you have to remember that all people who are inside the Nexus are operating under like a large amount of like coercion and duress, right? Like they are being threatened. So I have no idea, you know, how the individual members of this collective feel about this policy. You know, there's probably a mix. Maybe there's some true believers who like really strongly back it. Maybe there's some who feel ambivalent about it. And maybe there's some who actually are dissenting, but you know, they are in, they're under collective pressure. So I'm not sure. And I can't speak to what people actually think, but that's the public policy. Um, so I guess before we get 
into um, the main content, which is to talk about how to proactively oppose policies such as these, we will just break down what our opposition is to these policies. Totally. So, I mean, first of all, well, we are opposed to punishment in general, right? But we're specifically and definitely and very much opposed to punishment with no due process whatsoever and no transparency and, and no, you know, yeah, just no process at all. Like no way to, to even like respond to accusations, like not even like the slightest attempt to, um, to determine the accuracy of any claims that are being made, anything like that. And so like, you know, accusations with no, no due process is, I mean, it's, (laughs) It's extremely like unjust, first of all, but it also means that like any accusation can be leveled at anyone, and it's just total. It's totally chaos, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, and it, it subjects people to like a, basically like this this undifferentiated reign of terror, you know, which I recognize is like um, a bit of a you know strong term for like you know being banned from a book fair, you know. But it's not that it's just one book fair. No. It's that like this kind of thing is just present across like whole swaths of the left, right? And, yeah. And so like if you're running into this over and over and over again, like it cumulatively amounts to like just crazy social exile. Yeah, it's it's massive social exile. Um and so yeah, like for the 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 collective admits that they don't have the capacity to do some kind of due process, right? Which makes sense. They're like an anarchist collective. I'm sure they're run by volunteers. Yeah. You know, like the the book that the the press that dropped my book like said something similar. They were like, we don't have the capacity to like weigh in on whether these accusations are true. And so, you know, for them, they're like, so we basically just that means we have to act as if they are. Um and I'm like, that's definitely a leap. Um right. you don't actually have to act as if they are. You can act as if you don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. And if you don't know is it responsible to um, to leverage very severe consequences on someone who may actually be innocent of the things that they are being accused of? Which leads me into the second point, which is these policies can literally be used by people who are being abusive as a means of abusing and controlling someone, right? Clearly. Um, if, you know, all you have to do is say this person is an abuser, you don't even have to provide any details about it. If, if the blanket um, assertion is that you won't be questioned, you will just be believed, and the person will be exiled without any process whatsoever, then it is very easy for people to use this because they simply want to control someone, because they want to have someone to be socially... Um, Exiled, yep. you know? Yeah. Um, and we talked about this um, at length in our episode on breakups in the age of cancel culture. Mm-hmm. But basically, you know, we argue that cancel culture is actually facilitating a new form of domestic violence or a new form of interpersonal abuse in that people, you know, who go through breakups and feel a very strong urge to control their ex now have a socially sanctioned um and unquestioned and even encouraged way to do so, right? Um, And so if somebody is just saying, you know, I don't want my ex here because they're an abuser, then that's like a huge amount of power that you're giving that person with no questions asked, right? Yeah, it's power to, you know, get someone excluded from places, but it's also power to put a label on someone totally. that like there's then there's then sort of like um so to speak like a paper trail yeah you know it's like well this person's like even banned from the book bear you yeah know exactly I mean? like, and it legitimizes it further it legitimizes it further and like the wording in this where it says like people who have been identified to us as abusers like it's so factual 
right? Like it's like they have been identified to us as abusers. Yeah. So therefore they are, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, there's no language around accusation and the fact that these people have been accused. For sure. It also doesn't even say that like the, the alleged victim has to be the accuser. It yeah. can be like literally anybody. Anybody, exactly. And there doesn't have to be any information involved. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, yeah, it definitely, like, can be used to to abuse people. It also can be, like, we've talked about this before, too, I think, in, in different episodes where, like, there there's, like, very much a phenomenon where people kind of, like, preemptively will cancel each other, like, if they're afraid that they might be... Of course. Like, canceled or something. Yeah. And, like, in these situations where, like, two people are in a relationship, let's say, you know, and they're both, like, extremely in the nexus, and, like, they're both terrified that after the breakup, the other one will cancel the other yeah, one. Of like, course. you can preemptively cancel someone just to, like, get that out of the way. Of course. You know what I mean? And, like, you just end up with these, like, really ridiculous situations where people are being excluded for no fucking reason. Um, I mean, also, like, another reason why we really oppose policies like this is that we we really stand for like an inclusive socialism Mm -hmm. Um, and I mean, and an inclusive anarchism, right? Which we're grouping under socialism. Um, And what that means is that we, we want to include like sketchy people. We want to include people who have like done bad things that they regret, you know, like even, even assuming that these, like that, that an accusation that someone is an abuser might be like accurate or contain like a grain of truth. Like, um, we, we have to question like why a so-called abuser wouldn't be allowed to go to a book fair, like, you know, hot take, but seriously, like why, why can't people who have done things that they regret or even things that they don't regret yet not be allowed to go to political events? Yeah. Um, there isn't really like a good reason for that. I mean, I guess you could argue about it, but like we would say that our, our stance is that like people, people who are sketchy, people who've done things that they regret should be not only permitted, but like welcomed to participate in socialism because like we, we want to build an inclusive socialism. Totally. And so like policies like this are actually very opposed to politics of abolition and they're very opposed to politics of harm reduction because on the one hand, you know, at an anarchist fair, you're definitely going to see, you know, tons of, like you're probably going to see the prisoners correspondence project. You're going to see yeah. tons of yeah. things that are about supporting and offering community to people who literally have done violent things, who, yeah. who are abusers, abusers. They've yeah. been abusive. They are in jail for violent crimes, you know? So on the one hand, we have this posturing that we, that we believe people like that deserve community, that they, they should have pen pals. They should have people, um, connecting to them. They should not be behind bars. And then on the other hand, you know, we will, exclude people who have been accused of this, um, which includes people who have and have not done these things. Right. And so, yeah, like I also firmly believe that like, um, people who have been abusive deserve community. And it's also like defining people as an abuser, as if that's like all that they are. And as if they are currently and definitely a threat and danger, um, just because they have done something like that in their past. Right. And like, as you know, addicts and alcoholics and stuff, which we talk about a lot on this podcast, People who, and this is what Jay means when we're saying, like, sketchy people. It's, like, people who, like, use drugs, are traumatized, are fucking drunk all the time. They do, like, not nice things. They do things that are abusive. They, like, sometimes they physically assault people or they're just total assholes to people, you know? Um, And we can oppose that behavior while still valuing those people's humanity and not wanting to cut them off from community. Yeah. And that's like a very strong value that we have. Yeah, absolutely. And this, this attitude that like, it's, it's not like you can never be around an abuser, yeah. like a, an abuser with like quotation marks around it, you know, like is, it's just so like breathless, you yeah. know, it's like, okay, like what world do you live in? Like all, 
all sketchy people are like abusers. Like, yeah. it, it, like judging by the the kind of definition of, of abuser that gets thrown around in the For sure. Place, you know, like I, I don't like trust you if you've never done some sketchy, horrible, horrible thing that you regret, you know? Yeah. Most people have some kind of skeleton in their closet for ways that they've acted that they come to regret, you know? Um, and also with the harm reduction piece, it's like, again, just like we have this abolition, uh, abolitionist like posturing happening in fairs like this. We also have harm reduction posturing where, you know, people will be talking about supporting drug users, you know, and like, for sure, like everyone's got like a naloxone kit yeah. like hanging off their carabiner. And I'm like, what do you think drug users are like when they're totally fucked up? They, they act in ways that are sketchy. They act in ways that are harmful, you know? Like, for sure, they're still human beings. They still deserve um, not just life. They deserve not just to be revived from an overdose, but they also deserve community. They deserve to have access to a social life because we are human beings and we need a social life. Um, so, yeah, we are against... Um, excluding people from community, right? Um, that doesn't mean that we are against intervening on violence um, or, or taking actions to um, make things safer or to reduce the possibility of violence happening. But just like a straight up ban of anyone who has ever done anything fucked up is not an effective way of producing safety. Um, and it has huge consequences for the people who are being um, excluded. Yep. It also has huge consequences for everybody else because like many people you know, this is true of cancel culture in general and not just of these policies, but people live in fear of this shit, right? Yeah. People live in fear of this happening to them. They don't want to be excluded, you know? It fractures our communities. It makes people, you know, um, break up with their best friend because their best friend is being targeted and they don't want to be targeted too. It makes people avoid people that they actually love because they don't want to be targeted too. It makes people act dishonestly or not be able to be open about things that they're struggling with because they're afraid that they're going to be marked as an abuser and just like cast out. The last thing that somebody who is struggling with addiction needs is to be told that if they're honest about the shit that they've done or the shit that they're up to, that they're going to be totally banned from community and permanently marked as an abuser. Like that's a surefire way to make sure that that person never gets help. Yeah. You know, and to keep hiding what's going on. Absolutely. Um, yeah, furthermore, we are we're really opposed to the idea of um, handing out consequences for people's actions, you know, that are unrelated to the actions themselves, right? Um, and so, you know, the uh, someone who is banned from a book fair <laughs> should be someone who went to the book fair and did something ban-worthy, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, if you went to the book fair and, like, started a fight, then you should be banned from the book fair, yeah. you know? Like, maybe for a year or something until you, like, cool down, you know? Or if you if you went to the book fair and you, like, broke one of their rules and you, like, I don't know, stole, like, a table or, I don't know, like, <laughs> right. something, then, then you're banned from the yeah, book like fair, Yeah, like, if you've you know? demonstrated that you're, like, untrustworthy to be at the book fair, then that would be, like, a reason for people to consider whether or not you should be welcome at the book fair. For sure. And, like, also, you know, let's say, like, you know, let's say you you are in like a conflict with someone right um and at the book fair you like assault them or like you you yell at them or spit at them or something like yeah. that you know that means they're like okay well that means you can't fucking control yourself at the book fair yeah. so like next year you're not welcome at the book fair because you came to the book fair and you assaulted someone right <laughs> you know um that makes sense that is like a consequence a direct consequence for a direct, like for, for a specific action, you know, and it's related to the event at hand, which yeah. is the book fair. Right. Um, but just saying like at some point in your past, allegedly you did something yeah. that is bad and therefore like, we're just going to exclude you. Like it makes no sense. It's, it's not living in the real world. Yeah. It's not living in the real world. Um, and you know, when we, when we talk about, um, what we think 
we should do instead. We will address the question of like safety and, and, and survivors. Um, but yes, just because someone at some point in their life did something that is abusive does not mean that they are actually a threat to the safety of people in an unrelated context. Like that's actually like a logical leap, you know, when people have committed some kind of abusive act in a very specific context, that does not mean that they just go around committing abusive acts and in any context. Right. Um, And so the idea that it's for safety is actually, if you think about it a little more closely, it doesn't really make sense. And so it's more that it's punishment. It's punitive because it's like, you shouldn't be allowed to get away with having done something like that. And you should experience the consequences of no longer being allowed to have nice things. Right. And if you just believe that people shouldn't be allowed to get away with things, like at least admit it, Yeah, you know, at least admit that what you're interested in is punishment. Yeah. Um, and I guess, you know, that's a defensible position, but like, just don't pretend to be against punishment if you're pro punishment. And I mean, this, this kind of thing applies to, um, uh, firing people as well. You know, there's like whole segments of the left that like dedicate well, the alleged left anyway, that like dedicate their time to trying to find people's workplaces and get them fired for like things that they've said or things that they've done. Right. And it's like, I mean, first of all, I think that if you, if you dedicate all your time to trying to get people like working class people fired, you're a fucking like class traitor. Um, and you should really reevaluate your, your, polit- your political position. Um, but second of all, yeah, like those those are consequences that are unrelated to the action, right? Like again, like if you are at work and you're like groping someone or like saying like racist comments or something like that, then your workplace should should definitely have a policy in place. Yeah, because says, you're you're currently making the workplace unsafe. You're currently making the workplace unsafe. Yeah, but if you're on the internet and you like write something that other like that like a bunch of like liberals don't like, then, like, what does that have to do with your your ability to, like, you know, cut a plank in half or, like, sell a coffee or yeah. whatever, you know? and, I mean, basically what it comes down to, and I think people have a hard time wrapping their minds around this because we live in such a punitive culture, you know, but people have human needs. Like, people need a job because they need money to live under capitalism. Yes. People need community because we are social animals, and if we are exiled from all of our community, the chances of us killing ourselves is extremely high because we are evolved to be in community, yeah. right? So this idea that like you only get those things um, if you have been good um, is fundamentally like anti-human, and it's anti-socialist, you know? Um, and I understand that we obviously want to make spaces... Um, we don't want to let someone act so fucked up that they're making the space, you know, that they're preventing other people from accessing the things that they need. Right. And that's where like intervention comes in. And sometimes we do need to intervene, but making a blanket statement that a person can no longer access the things that they need because they acted fucked up in this one context is really unfair. And it's not actually what consequences means. And if you're interested in this, um, distinction between consequences and punishment, I'm pretty sure it's episode six that we go into that. Um, the first refusing to be accountable. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's six. Yeah. Um, yeah, so check out episode six because we go into much greater detail about this concept. Um, so if you're just listening to this and you're like not fully convinced, check out that episode. We go into it in more detail there. Yeah. Um, and then finally, like we want to live in reality. We want to build a left that is for real people, um, which includes people who have made mistakes, people who have, 
you know, done things that they regret, people who are addicted to drugs, people who yelled at their girlfriend once, you know, whatever. We want to include a socialism that actually does have room for abusers and people who have fucked up in big ways, you know, because we are abolitionists and because we care about people. So that's a big, a big piece of it. And we don't want to be in denial as if, quote, abusers are like some other different kind of human who are just essentially bad. We want to understand that humans are capable of doing fucked up things and we need to build cultures that address the underlying reasons why those fucked up things happen instead of scapegoating individual humans and turning them into symbols for those systems and thinking that punishing them gets rid of the larger problems that created this situation, right? For sure. And also part of living in reality is like looking at the world as it is and thinking through the the effects of policies like this. Right. And like one obvious effect of policies like this is that they can be used by anyone for antisocial purposes. Right. They can be used by, you know, people who are currently abusing their partner to control their partner more. Mm -hmm. Right. They can be used by cops to sideline anyone immediately with no effort. Right. Like they could pick an activist and just be like, we're taking this person down. Totally. And like that, they've done it. You know, like that person's banned from the book fair. That's like step one in a paper trail that then like is used to just like discredit someone as like a, whatever, you know, it's like so easy and we just hand it to them. Yeah. It can be used by wreckers, people who are just interested in like using, um, using the, like the policies and, the internal structures of organizations to like enact their personal vendettas, right? Yeah. People who have no interest in the, in the wider political, um, you know, picture, but are really just there for their own like personal reasons. Like they can, they can use this kind of thing to just destroy organizations. Totally. I have to say that the, um, the temptation to send emails to organizations like this, just accusing all of their own members or, or like random, you know, attendees and stuff of being like so-called abusers or being like this out of the other is so strong. Yeah. And I just want everyone to know <laughs> that I deserve so much credit for not doing that. Totally. Like people who just like make up crazy shit about me and lie about me all the time with like great authority in their voices and like get me banned from shit. Like those people have names and a lot of them, I know who they are, you know, and it would be hilarious, but very unethical of me to to, to email anonymously to any of these events and just get those people banned from the event, which I could easily do. I'm not going to because I would like to stay in my principles, um, but I'm human, man. I'm human, and I also feel things like resentment and anger. Yeah. <laughs> so those are our main reasons why we oppose um, policies such as these. We think that they are um, really not... Can I just say one more thing? Yeah. And okay, like I guess we've kind of we've kind of already said this, but one thing that I really want to point out too to people who think that policies like these make sense, or people who think that these like giant cancellation websites make sense, or like any really any part of like cancel culture, but like this in particular, is that everyone has done something, a real thing. Yeah. That could get them canceled. For sure, absolutely. You know, like they're like unless you live like literally like under a fucking rock. And just, like, don't leave your home. For sure. especially and even with, then, you've probably written something on Facebook in, like, 2010 or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, and especially with how, like, diffuse and vague the term harm and abuse have, like, like For a sure. pattern of harm could literally just be, like, you know, just, like, some relationship conflict that you had one time. Yeah, so you could make up, like, fake accusations about people. But you could also, like, literally take, like, real things that people have done and use them to, like, create, like, a case, you know? Totally. To have someone, like, banned from the book fair or, like, canceled in general. And I'm just, like, none of you 
are safe. No. Like, literally, like, all of you have done something. Yeah. You know? And so, again, like, just part of living in reality, it's like, if you think this through, like, everyone's banned from the book fair. Totally. And, like, this, I I don't usually make memes, but I made a little meme with <laughs> Ralph from The Simpsons, you know that little guy? <laughs> and, he, and it's, like, him sitting on the school bus, and it says, like, I'm in danger. And I I was like, cancelers surrounded by their cancelor friends. Like, that was a little thing on the meme. Anyway, I, I just described <laughs> just my meme. Explaining me. um, but basically, that's, yeah, like, it's it, it creates a situation in which no one is safe. Anyone can be targeted. There is no process to check any of the accusations. Um, and then also, like, before we move on, think about what this does to the left, right? If we as leftists are actually trying to build solidarity and build a mass movement in order to, I don't know, have enough power to challenge capital so that we can, you know, save the planet from environmental destruction, among other goals, Mm -hmm. we literally need to be able to work together. A policy that is like, we cannot have social relationships or political um, alliances with people who have been marked as abuser. It's just, it erodes solidarity. It also erodes solidarity in the sense that it means that you can't fucking trust your friends. It means that you know that this tool can be used against you with no questions asked at any time and that everybody is afraid of it happening to to them, so they're all going to turn on you, you know? And again, I think it's worth pointing out that, like, this is just the book fair that we're talking about, right? And it's very easy for the, the book fair to be like, okay, well, listen, like, it doesn't mean that none of these people can ever organize or like whatever. It's just this specific event yeah. that we're saying they can't come to. Okay, listen, calm down. But like the reason why we talk about cancel culture, yeah. which people get really mad about, but there's a reason why we talk about yeah. cancel culture yeah. is because this is repeated yeah. like infinitely all across the nexus, totally. right? And and so it has this like giant cumulative effect. Yeah, and when people say things like that, I'm like, it's in bad faith because I'm like, you absolutely live in the same reality that I do, and you know because you've seen it. You know that this is not just one book fair. You know that this person is experiencing this in basically every social circumstances that exists because once once somebody is marked, like they get banned over and over again. So it has a cumulative effect, and it's very stressful for everybody involved. So what should we do instead, right? For people who are listening to this and are like, okay, yes, but like, how do we support survivors and how do we keep the space safe if we, um, if we don't do this? And I kind of want to like, I know I talk about this all the time on the podcast, but I, again, I want to really position myself as someone who is a survivor. I have complex PTSD. My life has been thoroughly shaped by my experience of trauma. I am also a survivor of domestic violence that was very serious in which I was physically and sexually assaulted in very serious ways. It went through a jury trial. Okay. It was really serious. This guy stalked me for years and I was very afraid for my life because of the severity of the violence that he had inflicted upon me. So when I say that, like, I understand the importance of keeping survivors like supported and, um, to the best of our ability safe, Like, I really do understand that from a visceral place, you know? And I have been in situations where I have wanted to access spaces and I could not because the person who abused me was there and I was afraid to go there, you know? Um, I have also been in, in spaces, you know, like I have actually been in the same space as him and he did not come after me again, but I was like thoroughly fucking triggered and couldn't stay. Like, I tried to access like food banks, at this time in my life, and I couldn't access the food banks because he was there, right? And I have actually, at that time in my life, tried to advocate to get him banned from those spaces because I was like, I want to use these spaces, right? So I get it. But the thing is, there's two pieces to this. One, 
is that just because somebody has done something violent at some point in their life does not mean that they are an active threat to everybody there in every space that they go through, right? Mm -hmm. And it is just such a, like, it's like a blunt instrument to, like, just excise the person from community instead of trying to effectively intervene on violence um, and prevent violence, right? So what I would suggest that something like a fair do is they should have people at the event that are trained in like de-escalation and intervention skills who are able to notice and step in in case anything is happening that could be dangerous to people there, right? Because the thing is, is that even if you go ahead and ban every single person who's been accused, that does not mean that people are not going to randomly assault people. It could happen at any time. Because the thing is, is that there's always going to be people who are assaulting someone for the first time, right? Like people always do it for the first time at some point, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And so it's always possible or it's somebody who nobody there knows who's from out of town or something. So like, you don't like, you really can't just totally prevent it by banning people. You actually need to have effective strategies in place to know what to do in case shit starts to go down. Right. That's what intervention and de-escalation skills are for. Um, and then the other piece is like, how do you support survivors um, who are obviously going to feel super fucked up and triggered if they have to share a space with someone who abused them? And like, that is a very serious and important question. I think that it is important to keep in mind that many of the accusations, as we said, are not about situations that I'm talking about um, that are about severe domestic violence because we have completely moved away from using this language accurately. So often we have situations of conflict or whatever, like people having vendettas against each other and they're using language that is describing serious abuse. So that is happening some of the time. It's also true that there are going to be situations like what I went through where somebody's like, yeah, like this person like really seriously abused me and I'm like super stressed out about being in the same space. So in that situation, I'm like, you know, can you, um, can you facilitate access for both people in a way where they are kept more or less separate to the best of their ability, right? And so something like a book fair, you could be like, okay, you can table in this room, the other person tables in this room, and you guys should stay away from each other. And if that's not happening, there's like, here are the people that you can talk to if this person is like breaking that, you know? Yeah. I honestly think that's the best and the only thing that we can do because... Otherwise, it means that you have to ban people, and we've just listed why that is not an effective approach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's what I think we should do. De-escalation and intervention skills, and having the um, organizers facilitate some level of boundaries between the people, you know? And, like, when I tried to ask to be able to go to spaces, like, there's a few times when this happened where I was, like, I would like to be able to access it. And I was just told, sorry, no, like it does. there's nothing we can do, right? If they had said, look, we don't want to ban this guy, but like, what if, you know, you came on this day and he came on that day? Or what if, you know, we told him that you're going to be on this side of the event and, and he's going to be on that side of the event? Like, I think that there are creative solutions that communities can do to try to facilitate um, access for both parties. And then finally, um, you know, in many of these situations, we're not talking about severe abuse of any kind. We're talking about like conflict, disagreement, people that you just genuinely don't like. Um, And in that case, I'm like, just practice some tolerance. It is fine for you to share a space with someone who you politically don't agree with or who said something that you don't like on the internet, you know? Yes. You don't need to (laughs) 
use language that is so loaded that is for situations of severe abuse about situations of interpersonal conflict. Yeah, and I mean, tolerance is a, a, a principle and a quality that is worth uh, cultivating um, <coughs> a great deal, just in life in general. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one thing that actually you pointed out to me yesterday um, when we were talking about this is that like, you know, someone might ask, like, okay, so let's say we're, like, de-escalating and, and you know, we're having these facilitated boundaries and so on. But what if the person just breaks those, those rules? You know, yeah. what if the person doesn't – what if the person isn't respectful to the people who are trying to facilitate these boundaries yeah. and, and sort of does what, you know, he's uh, he's going after somebody anyway or whatever yeah. it is. And your answer to that, which is, I mean, extremely true, is that – he could do that anyway. Like, you could ban somebody. I don't know why I'm saying he. But, like, th- this person could do that anyway. You could ban someone from the book fair, and they could just show up. Totally. Yeah. Like. There's always limits to our capacity to control people unless we are able to physically overpower them, right? Right. And I understand that that feels <laughs> stressful. Um, and I understand, like, I don't know. I feel like being a survivor and like having gone through all of this, it gives me this perspective that like, you know, that is really like a harm reduction perspective where it's like, you know, we actually don't have control over other people, whether we ban them or not, whether we tell them what to do or not, you know, and the best that we can do is to try to empower ourselves and each other to keep ourselves and each other as safe as possible, knowing that that is, um, not always entirely possible, you know, at the end of the day, even if we ban everybody at the fair, I guess there's no fair then, maybe then we're safe. But it's like, otherwise, you know, there's always going to be risk in in humans being together. And there's always going to be danger, especially when we include things like drugs and alcohol and all sorts of other stuff, right? There's always going to be some level of danger. And I think that the best that we can do is to to work together to try to develop effective strategies to mitigate that um, and like trauma-informed strategies to try to support people who do have trauma without just, you know cutting people off left, right, and center. Which honestly has always been like an important pillar of anarchism. Yeah. Of like social anarchism, you know, it's accepting actually that there is always going to be like a degree of danger in social life. Right. And, and saying that actually we prefer to live with a little bit of danger than, than so much rigid control, than so much rigid control. Like that is literally like the the basis (laughs) of anarchism, you know? Um, and yeah, it's really weird to see it get sort of like twisted around like this. Um, totally. And I don't know, I was talking to a friend recently, um, over lunch and they said like, when did like revolutionary spaces become so obsessed with safety or something along those lines, you know, mm-hmm. that like safety is like the end all and be all, be end and end all. I don't know. Be all, be all and end all. <laughs> <laughs> um, the be all and end all of, of what we're trying to do. And I don't know how to really say this in a way that people can hear, but I find it insulting. I find it insulting as a survivor, you know, because I'm like, actually like, survivors we know about violence we of course don't want it to happen to us again but to act as if we are these like fragile people who like cannot in any way like live in the reality of like the fact that the world is not safe like we know that you know we actually know that you know and we actually know that you know banning people or telling people that they can't go places or even sending people to jail does not guarantee our safety you know, we know that. And so what actually could increase our chances of safety are things like, you know, um, 
whatever. Like I get into this a lot more in episode six, but like there is a lot of things that we can do to empower survivors and to empower communities to better keep ourselves and each other safe, um, which involves skills for like how to intervene, how to deescalate, um, and also like self-defense and also like, you know, just like knowing basic things like keeping your phone on you. Like if you've been stalked, like you already have a fucking whole set of things that you do, right? And we should be building up these skills um, and sharing them with each other and having like, you know, safety buddies and like plans for in case shit does go bad instead of just trying to pretend like it's never going to go bad. Um, and again, like I'll just say this one last time and then we can move on because I am a survivor and because I have experienced this real shit, I always feel the need to address that because I feel like I owe it to survivors and it is important to acknowledge that this shit really does happen and there is really serious shit that needs to be um, addressed. And I do have so much compassion and I do understand that if somebody very seriously abused you, it's very hard to share space with that person because you're probably having PTSD, um, you know, symptoms from the result of sharing the space with them. And I get that and I totally have compassion for that. And at the same time, I still stand by everything that I just said. You know, I don't think that banning people is the answer. Um, but what fucking bothers me and offends me is that that experience of severe trauma and severe abuse is now being appropriated and used in situations that have nothing to do with that. Right. And so the emotional weight of this, you know, we're acting as if all the people who, um, are banned are people who are equivalent to my ex who have done like very serious violent crimes. I can tell you that the majority of them are not. The majority of them literally are not. And so because of that, we actually are like using these like last, you know, these last, um, what is the phrase I'm looking for? Like, it's like the last thing that you would try when, for a very serious situation, like, uh, last resorts, I don't know, whatever, <laughs> but basically it's like, you know, this is a, a response for something very, very serious, you know? Right. Um, and instead you're just using it all the time right? instead of using it for very, very serious situations. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So Yeah, I mean it's part of I know we want to move on, but yeah. it's it's part of like a, a broader um phenomenon, I guess. Like it's on the left, but it's kind of like all throughout like human nature. Um to turn things into binaries. Yeah. Know? And to be like zero one, yeah, on exactly. off, black, white, you know? And like in this case, you know, they're basically being like good person, abuser. Yeah. Like Welcome excluded. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what, there's no other gradations between those? Like, no, life that, is that complicated. You, of, you know, life is complicated. Life is messy. There's many, many situations, and they all require like a specific approach based on like what is actually going on. Um, and if you want to hear us talk more about this, because again, it's like not really what this episode is about, but um, I can't remember which number it is, but the um, breakups in the age of cancel culture, I think we get into a lot of this stuff. Yeah, it was like a recent one. Yeah. A couple, well, a couple episodes back. Okay. So, so we don't like these policies, all right? We oppose them. That's so, that's our stance. Yeah, all that being said, like there are different ways that people react to these policies. Yeah, and I guess before we get into the ways, I just want to say that, you know, being being online and being a vocal um opponent of cancel culture, I know that we are not alone in thinking that these policies are wrong. We actually are not a fringe perspective. And I, we just we just made the arguments that we just made as if the listeners are kind of like skeptical or disagreeing with us just because we wanted to try to make a strong argument. Mm. But we actually know that many of you listening to us already agree with us. For sure. The majority of the people who listen to this podcast know what cancel culture is and oppose it. And they think that policies like this are bad and they know that they can be used to abuse people and they know that they're not abolitionists and they know that they're not effective at creating safety. So there's many, 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 many people 
who don't like this shit. And the fact that, you know, these policies, like the way that cancel culture works is that it's coercive and threatening, right? And so people who oppose it always risk having it happen to them, right? Like if you say, you know, this, um, this policy is, um, you know, harmful or this policy is causing harm, um, people might be like, well, maybe you are causing harm. You know what I mean? Like it's dangerous to oppose this shit. People know that and they don't want to get in trouble and they don't want to have these consequences like happen to them. And so people just kind of go along with it. And so what ends up happening is it seems like not only that these people have the moral authority, but also that they are the majority, right? That most people agree with them. And I can say that so many people do not agree with them, right? Many, many people in varying degrees really think that this stuff is not helpful, is stressful, is um, not effective, is scary. Um, For sure. And I've talked about this before, but, like, way back before I was, like, ultra-canceled, I was just, like, low-key canceled. And I would always talk to people about this, you know what I mean? Like, I would, like, one-on-one, though, like, friends of mine, right? Yeah. And, and everyone was like, oh, my God, yeah, it's so fucking annoying. Like, it's so, like, stressful. Like, yeah. people are so fucking crazy on the internet. Like, I really, like, I'm, I'm afraid of it happening to me, you know? Like, it happened to my friend, and I fucking sucked, and, like, that, that person didn't actually do anything, and, like, whatever, you know? Yeah. And so, like, one-on-one, like, many, many people are totally. like, happy to have conversations about this, yeah. you know what I mean? And, like, my DMs are just like flooded. Like on Instagram, I posted about this recently. I was talking about this policy and like, you know, people are just messaging me being like, what the fuck? Like, I can't believe that this is the policy. Like this is so fucked up. Or people were messaging me being like, yeah, like when this policy came into place, like I tried to oppose it. So like, there's like lots of people who don't agree with it. But the issue is, is that we're all just sort of like privately, you know, for the most part, most people are just privately disagreeing with it in their head. Um, very few yeah. people are trying to do anything about it. Yeah. And I mean, also like, let's, let's remember that like people who oppose cancel culture are going to be like, I oppose cancel culture. People who are in favor of cancel culture are like, if you don't do what we want, we'll destroy your life. Yeah, so it's terrifying. <laughs> so it's like a little bit different, you know? But, um, yeah. yeah. So basically, um, there's kind of like three different ways that we can respond to policies such as these. If we oppose them. If we oppose them. Yeah. The first one is to be, like, kind of avoidant about it, you know? And that just means to basically be like, I, you know, I hope that it doesn't fucking happen to me. Like, it's 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 being like, listen, like, I know it happens. I know it's bad. But, like, my job is to not have it, like, affect me. So I'm just going to basically keep my head down. Maybe I'll talk about it in private to people. You know, maybe I'll complain about it. But, like, in the end... Like, it's kind of not my problem if, as long as it's not happening to me. Or maybe it is my problem, but I'm, I'm basically too afraid to, like, do anything about it. Or I don't think that I could do anything about it. So yeah. I just avoid the question entirely. Totally. And not just avoid the question, but avoid anything that might get you banned. Right? Or, like, you know, try your best. Like, people become, like, straight up superstitious about this shit. Right? Like, yeah. they are like, what do I have to do to not have you know, it should not be canceled. And I say superstitious and I'm kind of joking, but I'm also not like, I've actually talked to people who, who are basically experiencing OCD. Like literally I'm not using that word incorrectly, like OCD, um, symptoms about cancel culture, right? Like they are literally, um, like having obsessive compulsive, um, symptoms about the fact that they don't want to be canceled and they're trying to do everything that they can to not be canceled. Right. Um, I don't have OCD, but like in my case of having complex PTSD, my hypervigilance around this stuff was like through the fucking roof, you know? And I was like compulsively reading and rereading everything I posted, having panic attacks about it, just being like, Oh my God, is there going to be something, some way that I'm framed as being harmful, let alone the stress that I felt about my past before I got sober and how like that was definitely going to come out and like destroy my life at some point. Or the kind of stress that people experience 
experience in relationships, not being willing to leave relationships that they're unhappy in because they're afraid they might get canceled if they do. Yeah. Like all sorts of stuff. Yeah. And so people are just sort of being like, I don't, I don't like that this stuff happens, but I really hope it doesn't happen to me. And I'm just going to try to avoid having it happen to me. So that's like the avoidant approach. Yeah. The next is a reactive um, approach to these policies. And basically like what this means is that once the policy comes into effect against you or someone that you love or someone who's close to you, then you might say, okay, that sucks, you know? Mm -hmm. And you might actually try to stand up against it in that context. So messaging the fair to be like, look, my friend was banned, but like my friend didn't actually do the things that they've been accused of. And this is like really unfair. Right. So this would look like, you know, um, standing up for individual people who are having these, um, these bannings happen to them, um, or trying to stand up for yourself when you've been banned. But like these, this type of response, it's reactive because it's not actually challenging the, the larger policy. It's just challenging it in this instance. Yes, and this is also the most common form of like pushback against cancel culture yeah. because it honestly like there's a lot of stigma against like even talking about cancel yeah. culture in general. So most right? people aren't going to risk it unless, most people they, aren't gonna risk unless it. they're already in trouble. Yeah, or they believe really strongly in it for whatever reason. Um, but yeah, so most people like when when they eventually do run up against this shit and they can't stay silent anymore, it's because it's happening to them or it's happening to someone that they love, you know, um, or you know a friend. And and this happens like pretty Commonly, actually, like a lot of the people who uh, eventually sort of like come onto our, come to the dark side with us, um, or you know, people messaging us, like people who are who are like experiencing like a sort of like crisis of faith in the nexus, it's because something like this happened. You know, it's people. There's a lot of people who are like. I always was very sort of like belief survivors, like yeah. like this, you know, until someone just accused me of something I literally didn't do. And then, and then my worldview collapsed because I was like, holy fuck, like how many times have I participated in, in sidelining someone um, on the basis of like a random accusation with no, with no proof and, and no context. And, and now I feel crazy yeah. because I don't know what to think or, and this happens a lot too. It's like, people are like, you know, their partner or like their yeah. best friend gets accused of something that they know for a fact, like didn't happen yeah. or that the accusation is completely overblown or yeah. they see how, like, even if the accusation was true, um, the, the consequences that flowed from it were so like insane that like they couldn't possibly be. Yeah. And they know that their friend or their partner is a whole and complex and real human being, not just like a scapegoat that can be discarded. Like they know it's not as easy for them to discard them because they know them and they love them. Yeah. And they, they don't want that person to become just a zero or a one. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, um, and so in, in circumstances like that, people, you know, can get very worked up, like for good totally. reason, you know, and they'll, and they'll start saying like, actually, this is bullshit. No, no, no. But yeah, like often, um, very often before people sort of like fully deprogram about this stuff, they'll, they'll be like, okay, like the policy itself basically is fine, but as it applies to me or as it applies to my friend, it's wrong because right. it's because that didn't actually happen. You know, yeah. this, this is like a miscarriage of a, an otherwise like just system. Yeah. Right. Although, you know, definitely some people also will just get to push to that point where they're like, actually, no, the whole thing is bullshit. Yeah. Or there's people, you know, kind of like in my case, it's like you, you are, you think it's wrong for years and you maybe are building up the courage to speak about it. Maybe you're starting to speak about it a little bit, but like getting canceled or having someone that you love get canceled definitely pushes you over the edge because any clinging towards safety is just pointless at that point, you know? Yeah. Um, can I just tell a quick anecdote? Definitely. Um, so basically this happened to me where... So sometimes I, I Google myself, all right? Um, and <laughs> you probably should have. I know, but I do. Basically, I do it mainly just for like you know, um, scanning like my my doing trying to do damage control for my career, you know, and seeing like what the fuck is showing up on the first page of Google. But um, 
I've done that. And then, you know, under like the image search, like random images will show up that in some way are associated with the phrase Clementine Morgan, right? And one set of images that shows up is the um, profile pictures of people who have written canceling things about me. Um, And so people will write trigger warning, Clementine Morgan. (laughs) And then they will write some canceling things about me. Um, And so there was this image of this person's face um, that showed up because they had written that on a social media account. Um, And so their profile picture showed up under my name. And because, you know, it's very triggering, I obviously, like, remember what this person looks like, right? And then this person, the same face, like, you know, maybe, like, a year and a half later, was, like, in my DMs, like, liking my posts, commenting, doing things. Yeah. And I was like, yo, like, am I crazy? I recognize this person. At first, I was like, where do I recognize them from? But, like, their face, like, was, ju- like, you know. Like, <laughs> You're it was, having, like, a <laughs> response. Yeah. Like, I was like, I feel stressed out. And then I was like, fuck, it's this. And I looked, and I and it was. It was the same person, and it was still under Google. You know, so I messaged them, and I was like, hey, um, look, I, like, I see that you're, like, you know, writing positive things and stuff like that, and you're trying to be supportive right now, but it's kind of stressful for me because, like, I saw this um, this thing, like, it shows up under Google, like, your face with a trigger warning in my name and, like, you talking cancel shit about me. So what's going on here? Um, and then the person was, like, insanely apologetic and was like, oh, my God, wow, I did not even remember that I did that, okay? And they were like, this was, like, they were like, you know, a year and a half ago, I believed in all of this stuff, you know? And I saw somebody talking shit about you. I, I honestly don't even remember it, but I must have just reshared it, written Trevor Winning Clementine Morgan and just reshared it. Um, and I honestly had totally forgotten that I had done that. And now I found your work because I have been canceled. Um, and horrible things are happening to me. My life is being blown up, whatever. Um, and I don't believe in that stuff anymore. And so I've become a fan of your work. I had no idea... Um, that I had written that about you, you know? Yeah. That's just a weird anecdote, but basically I think that that is a common trajectory for people where they're sort of like going along with it, not thinking about it too much, um, and then when it happens to them, they're like, holy, there's actually no way to confirm if this shit is true about any of the people that I have been going along with because <laughs> right. I know that it's not true about me. Yeah, so, so what does that say? Yeah. So it's like it's, e- it's easily possible that I have been slandering like all of these people. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So like long story short, like yeah. that's the that's the reactive model where basically like something happens and then you react to it. Yeah. Yeah. But there is another way. There's right. a third way. Yeah. Um, and that is the proactive stance. And this is what we wanted to talk about in the episode, basically. Yeah. You know, we're, all, finally, we're finally getting to all it. All this is basically leading up to this. <laughs> um, which is just to say that, like, yeah, you can also, like, you can also respond to policies like this and have stances on them and, and do things about it before it happens to you or your friend. Yeah. And so this is important. Um... We're going to get into some ideas for proactively opposing these things, but I think this is kind of new, you know? Like, I don't think this happens very often, but actually maybe it does and we just don't hear about it, you know? True. Um, Because when I did post about this particular book fair policy, somebody messaged me and told me that they had actually tried to oppose the policy, like, years ago and had actually, like, written a zine about it, um, which is really interesting, but I had not heard about that. And I think that any kinds of attempts... um, get quashed probably pretty easily. Yeah. But I think part of the issue, right, and this is why we want to promote this proactive approach, is that people in the Nexus, people who uphold and believe in cancel culture, they position themselves as the moral authorities, 
right? They position themselves as the ones who are correct, who are fighting for justice, who are um, like above criticism, and that what they are doing is just ethically correct, you know? Yeah. Um, and they position anyone who challenges them as, you know, definitely right wing. Like, and like morally deficient. Yeah, and just like bad, you know? Even if, And they don't really listen to what we're saying. They just, you know, cast us as like sketchy and bad actors and like terrible people and abuse apologists and all this stuff, right? They're not actually listening when we are saying, actually, we are concerned that you are promoting a policy that can be used to abuse people. We are concerned about abuse. We do not want people to be abused. We do not want people to be excluded from community. We think that this is bad for community. We think that it's bad for people who are trying to um, change their lives. We think that it's actually not effective in keeping survivors safe, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that we just said. They don't hear that. Instead, they just continuously push it as, like, you guys are bad, and Mm -hmm. we are in the correct position, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that that sort of, like, mountain of moral authority, we feel like is, like, you know, people feel like it's a huge mountain, and they are just a little guy. How are they supposed to stand up against something like that? Especially when doing so marks you as, like, a bad person, right? Yeah. But I think that it's a mistake to let these people set the terms of the debate. And I think that as principled um, leftists who take responsibility for ourselves and who want to affect positive social change, we should feel confident in the things that we believe in. Yeah, it's basically taking a step from being like, okay, this is horrible because it's like happening to me and it's happening to my friends and it hurts people and there's all these like bad reasons or there's all these all these reasons why it's bad and awful, you know, to taking, taking a step from that to being like, well, actually, okay, I have a set of principles of my own. I have a stance of my own. Yeah. And, and that stance, yes, it is like opposed to things. Like it is opposed to cancel culture, yeah. right? But it also like stands for something, yeah. you know? Um, and as part of my principles, I want to like... I want to challenge yeah. cancel culture because, you know, because I think that it's bad and wrong, um, but not just because it's happening to me, happening to my friends. Yeah. I think there's like, there's like two pieces to it. One is that it's like, it moves it from an individual thing to a collective thing. Right. So it's not just about me and my friends, but it's about this shouldn't be happening to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, it's bad for anybody. It's bad for any human being. It's also bad for the left, the left and like what we're trying to do. Um, and also it, it changes the order of things. In this example, in the proactive example, we go first. Yeah, like we exactly. we take the first step, and doing that is very brave. Like um, because you're putting your neck out, right? Like I think when people are taking the avoidant um, response, they're hoping that they're never going to have to do the reactive response, right? Because they just don't want it to happen to them or their friends, and they know that by um, taking a proactive response, that the chances of you becoming marked as a bad guy is pretty high. Right. Yeah. Um, and people feel very anxious about that. They don't want to have all of these consequences happen to them, which is totally understandable. And I obviously have compassion for it. But the thing is, is that it creates a situation where these people, the cancelers, they continue to, um, they control the situation, right? They control the situation and they also make it seem as if everybody agrees with them. Yeah. Like they, they erase the position that we actually hold. Yeah. They make it seem like it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist, and there's no dissent. But there's actually a huge amount of dissent. There's actually a lot of people who do not agree with this and think that it's wrong. And those people are on the left. There are leftists who are very committed to basically what you might call social justice, you know, Mm -hmm. um, without scare scare quotes, like actual justice. They want people to have their needs met. They want them to be okay. They want to build a left that actually is effective in meeting people's needs and saving the planet, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um... There are leftists, many of us, who think that this shit is wrong, who are truly abolitionists, 
who truly believe in harm reduction, yep. who care about drug users, who care about survivors and want to actually transform the conditions that create abuse in the first place. There are many of us who have very well articulated um, responses to these types of policies who think that it's wrong. Yeah. And so when we are brave enough to come forward and say that right off the bat, as soon as we know that this shit is going on, we actually challenge it directly. What that means is that, first of all, we're not letting them have the moral authority. Like, we're being like, actually, we disagree with you. Yeah, we challenge that. And we have our own ethical stance that we are representing, right? Yeah. yeah. And we're not we're not using the same tactics as them. We're not threatening them. We're not harassing them. We're not, um, you know, slandering individuals on the internet. We're not coercing them. But we are coming with a principled stance of our own um, opinions and sharing our critique of their policy. Yeah. So, like, basically, what would it look like if instead of, like, waiting to get canceled and, and hoping that it doesn't happen to us and then reacting if it does, what it would look like what would it look like if instead we went to these organizations of our own accord, you know, and we said, I- I'm a, I'm a pro solidarity socialist. Yeah. So like, so that is why I want to talk to you about this, this policy that you have. This is why I want to talk to you about this exclusion that you carried out. That's why I want to talk to you about this, like auth- your own author that you fucking blacklisted. Mm-hmm. You know, this is why I want to talk about the ways in which you're participating in this, this culture that is very anti-solidarity. So yeah. can we talk about that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So basically, I just wrote an email um, to the Montreal Anarchist Book Fair about this. I was wondering if maybe I might read this email. Uh, Yeah. How would you feel? Go for it. Okay. So we're really really, uh, bringing it to the Montreal Anarchist Book Fair. I mean, no hate. I love the Montreal Anarchist Book Fair, and I would love to be able to go. Um, It's just that, you know, I have an issue with this exclusion policy yeah and for the record neither of us are formally excluded no like we probably like would be like you said like if we tried to show up i'm sure there'd be yeah. drama but we're neither of us have been banned no we haven't been banned as far as we know but basically but, it's the, the way that it works is that you know if i were to apply for a table then i would find out yeah i would also say that i would not attend the anarchist book fair while they have this exclusion policy in place because i disagree with it right yeah. Or that might be one way of doing a proactive um, <laughs> a proactive response to the policy. Right. Okay, so here's the email. I just think I'll read it just to give people an idea of like how you might express this dissent if you were to write an email yourself towards you know any local event, organization, or whatever that is enacting these types of policies. Go for it. I'm writing as a community member and someone who has tabled at the book fair many times over the years. I would like to ask the collective to change its exclusion policy or to open up community dialogue on it. Policies such as these are ineffective at keeping people safe and can literally be used to abuse people. Since the collective does not have the capacity to mediate, it also certainly doesn't have the capacity to effectively determine the accuracy of accusations. People lie, false accusations, and overstated harm are common in our communities, and abusers can very easily use policies like this to to socially isolate and control their victims. This policy is also totally at odds with an abolitionist politics. It offers no due process or rights for the accused to defend themselves. It also defines people as abusers only and does not allow people who have been abusive any grace or space for transformation. If you are interested in creating a safer space at the fair, I recommend having people around who are trained in de-escalation and intervention and offering to facilitate boundaries between people who don't want to be around each other, like offering to let people table in different areas. 
Not only is this policy punitive, exclusionary, and can be used to abuse people, it also undermines our capacity for collectivism on the left. How can we work together if anyone accused is immediately cast out? Policies like this can be used by cops, infiltrators, abusive people, and those with vendettas to get people excluded for no real reason. As anarchists, I think we should be very familiar with how power can be abused, and this policy grants any person a huge amount of power to name someone as an abuser and exclude them from community with no questions asked, no checks or balances, no way to ensure this power is not being abused. I say all of this as a survivor of severe domestic violence, sexual assault, and stalking. This is not how safety is created. I hope that you will consider what I've said. So that's just an example. Such a good email. Thank you. Um, And basically, you know, a proactive, one way that you could do a proactive um, response to policies that uphold cancel culture would be to contact the org, the event, the collective, the press, whatever it is that you see doing these things, whether they have an official stance on their website or whether um, you're just literally seeing them um, enacting this kind of behavior, you could write to them and you could explain to them why you don't agree with this behavior, why you don't think that it is in alignment with leftist values and principles. Um, and also you can suggest alternatives, right? Yeah. So you just make it like known that like there is this other stance out there and that you're not ashamed of it and you're not hiding yeah. and, uh, and that you disagree strongly with like whatever kind of policy they're putting yeah. in place. Um, just something else to say. About yeah. That? Basically like, I think that it's really important that we don't use the same tactics that the cancelers use, right? So this is not a threat. Yeah. It is not a threat. It's not like do what I want or else, mm-hmm. you know? It is saying that especially for um, organizations, collectives, whatever, that are, you know, claiming to be for and to in some way represent the community, you know, whatever that means, whether it's local community or like a certain political community or whatever it is, that you're saying not everyone in this community agrees with this, right? Mm-hmm. And so there is dissent, and you should be aware of it. Um, and if you want to effectively, you know, um, create community spaces or events or whatever that that reflect leftist values, like here's some feedback about the way that you're doing that. Yeah, you have to take it into account. Now. Yeah, you yeah. have to take it into account. Um, which is not the same as being like, you have to do exactly what I said. But it's yeah. being like, look, like there's dissent. Yeah, like don't pretend that there isn't. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you could also do this more publicly. Like you could write a public letter um, and you could get it signed by a bunch of people in the community, you know? Um, this can be a good, you know, a good pressure tactic that, that makes it very clear that there is opposition, um, that allows people to see that it's like real, like a bunch of real people that they like might actually know who, who agree with the stance, you know, um, Uh definitely, you know, that's, it's also, there's like, it's like more high stakes a little bit, you know, to like sign something like that if you're, if you're not comfortable doing so, but it can also have like really positive results. Yeah. I mean, definitely it's risky. Um, but I think that we are at a time when maybe some risk is, is called for. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. but like, you know, I just want to be like, obviously honest with the listeners that it's like definitely risky. It's something that I would consider doing. Um, toward this event possibly or towards other um, organizations that behave in these kinds of ways. But like basically, you know, it would take a lot of courage for people to publicly put their names on a list like this um, because they can be marked. Um, And another weird thing that can happen is that because of the transitive quality of cancellation Mm -hmm. or the contagious factor, Mm -hmm. basically if people on the list are canceled, like people, if people who are signing this letter are canceled, Mm -hmm. other people... (laughs) 
on who signed the letter will like weirdly get associated with that person's cancellation. For sure. You know, um, and an example that just came to mind, this is not exactly the same thing, but do you remember the whole scandal about the Harper's letter? Oh yeah. Vaguely. Yeah. So this was like a very chill, like not. Was that the one with um, Noam Chomsky? He signed signed it. it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was organized by Thomas Chatterton Williams and probably some other people. Right. Um, and it was basically like a public letter that was taking issue with censorship yeah. in the media. And yeah. basically it was it was noting, you know, that what we call the nexus is like insanely in favor of censorship mm-hmm. and that this is having a negative effect on the arts, on intellectuals and Literature on, on people's and, yeah. capacity to like freely speak and think openly, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was signed by like a whole variety of people, but my understanding is that it was mainly like, you know, liberals and like some leftists who were signing that letter. It yeah. was like people mainly left of center. Um, and it included Noam Chomsky, um, who is famously very opposed to um, censorship, mm-hmm. but it also included JK Rowling right, 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 and right, right, some right. others, yeah, some, other, this, yeah. some other high profile yeah. people who, who I remember are, people saying that Noam Chomsky is transphobic. Right. And so yeah. all of this drama <laughs> happened, this. <laughs> all of this drama happened because people just like cannot understand that people could agree on one thing and not yeah. be the same person, you he's know, like 17 year olds trying to cancel Noam Chomsky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's so, like, he's written more books than you've had like birthdays. Yeah, like, exactly. It's yeah. total ridiculousness, but yeah. So like, I definitely would think a similar thing would happen here. But there's power in numbers, and I think that, you know, if you start having honest conversations with the people in your life, I think that you will find that there are a lot of people who feel this way, Um, and I think that we are moving towards, um, you know, like, if my Instagram is any... um, any sort of indication, like there's more and more people who are willing to publicly be like, yeah, I agree with this. I'm sharing this post. I'm liking this. I'm publicly being like, I agree with this shit. Right. So I think that the more that we can get our courage up to do things like that, the better. So a public letter I think could be a, a way of showing that it's not just like a couple of random individuals who feel this way, but that there is like a, a large segment of the community that feels this way. Yep. Um, Another strategy, um, which Jay already mentioned, is that you could choose not to participate and say why. So, like, for example... Or it's like a boycott. It's like a boycott. And you could just say, I'm not participating in this event until, you know, everybody, like, who wants to come to the event is welcome at the event. Like, you know, like, I'm not going to take part in an event that has an exclusion policy because I am opposed to an exclusion policy for these reasons. And you could tell the organizers that. You could also, like, share it publicly that this is why you won't be at the event. Mm -hmm. When I found out that the press that was dropping me, like, had, had, like, um, had done this, this, this terrible thing to this other author that had, like, created a spectacle of cancellation about their author, I literally, like, you know, I'm very, uh, whatever, I was being a bit of a badass, but I just, I just was like, actually, you can't have my book, you know? Like, I was like, (laughs) I was like, I, I was like, you know, if you remove this, um, this cancellation spectacle about your other author, then I would consider publishing with you, but not before then. You're like, you can't fire me, I quit. Yeah, and I mean, (laughs) I do mean that, though, because it's like, I honestly don't want to be published by a press that is actively taking part in the harassment of one of its authors. It's totally... fucking whack. It's totally against my my values and my principles. So, you know, that is, like, one possibility that you could just not participate and explain why. Yeah. Um, To escalate things a little bit, you could always break the rule in a group. You know, you could get, for example, like a bunch of people who are who are banned, 
um, to show up all together, you know? Yeah, or one person who's banned and, like, a bunch of brave friends. Yeah, and a bunch of, like, supporters, yeah. Um, or, you know, let's say if it is, like, a book fair or something, you could, like, start tabling, like, right outside. Yeah. Or, you know, if it's, like, an event, you could, like, go, like, hang out, like, around the event and just, like, make yourself, like, present or yeah. whatever, you know? Like, various kinds of things like that that, that just demonstrate in a physical way um, that there's, like, a group of people or a number of people who are opposed yeah. to, like, whatever's going on. And you could, like, actually use that, especially if you were, like, doing something like tabling outside of an event, you could use that as, like, an educational opportunity where you could, like, hand out pamphlets or or talk to people about, like, why you're there. Yeah. Um, and that you're, like, you're not welcome inside, but you are protesting about this policy. Um I actually thought about doing this, maybe not in, like, a hugely dramatic way. It's pretty dramatic, but I was thinking, like, you know, this other fair that I was told I may be banned next year, I was like, maybe I'll just go and table outside of it, you know? Um, Obviously, doing things like this is extremely brazen and potentially risky, but for, especially for an event where they, like, like, are very strongly ACAB and, like, don't believe in the police, I'm like they're not going to call the cops on me, you know? Maybe in some circumstances you would want to be concerned about that because there are people who would call the cops on you for, like, trespassing or something. Yeah. um, Which, please, don't get arrested. It's not worth it. Um, But I don't think that these people would. Um, There's always the possibility of them really being extremely contradictory and, like, physically assaulting you to try to get you out of the space. Mm. Um, So I would definitely also consider that that is a possibility. But, again, I think that if you do it with a group of friends and, um, you know, if things do start to seem dangerous or heated, then just fucking book it, you know, it's not worth it. Yeah, for sure. But it could be a good opportunity to just directly challenge it and also like start conversations with the people who may not be aware when they're entering the event that they're participating in something like this. Yeah, totally. Or like, I don't know, you could even, (laughs) I just thought of this one, it's not on our list, but it would be, it would be very funny to go to a place like the Anarchist Book Fair. Um, and then like when they try to like kick you out you're just like there that's her that's the person who abused me (laughs) you probably shouldn't do that but it it would be funny um yeah we don't advocate for making false accusations but but basically like but this is part of um something kind of broader that we were talking about which is just that we're getting to the point where there's like such a there's like there is a critical mass of people who like hate this kind of thing you know um and we can start pushing the contradiction within these spaces, you know, and, and, and pointing out that there's like a huge contradiction between their policy and what people want. Also a huge contradiction between their policy and reality. And And also a huge contradiction between their policy and their stated politics. Yes, exactly. And so like there's, there's giant contradictions here. And like sometimes like contradictions can just be uh, pushed under the rug indefinitely, you know, if, if enough people are willing to just not look at them. But if you like force the issue and you're just like, you know, there's a whole bunch of people here who are like quote unquote banned, but what are you going to do about it? Like that's definitely, like one way to push that contradiction and make people think about it totally force them to yeah yeah um yeah and so you could also um i kind of already mentioned this but you could create pamphlets you could create literature on the topic um you could share those like at the event if you're if you're doing something brazen like hanging outside of the event or you could um I mean, you know what would actually be hilarious i just thought of this is if you aren't banned from the event you could go to the event True. Like, if you personally are not banned, yeah. you could table at the event and literally, like, have pamphlets available that discuss the policy and why you oppose it and just share that with all the people who are attending the event. Yeah, definitely. Because the other thing about this, too, is that although most of us are sort of aware um, that this stuff goes on, we've heard about people being banned, 
many people are not aware like just how many people are actually banned or they may not know anyone personally. They mm-hmm. may not know of a situation where someone was very clearly falsely accused and has been banned, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, they may not be aware that the website has this like very directly worded um, policy about it, etc. And I think a lot of people, when they actually see it and they actually like read about it, um, especially from like a leftist perspective that opposes it, there's a lot of people who are like, oh, wow, I did not know that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And who are like attending and who are not fully aware of like the fact that this is going on, right? right and so right. like sharing that information and just like letting people know can be a way for people to actually have the information for them to make their own decision about what it is that they think about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And one of the one of the last things um, that we want to talk about is that like a lot of these organizations, especially like lefty ones, right? Like they purport to be sort of on behalf of the community, right? And there's like a certain level of, of democratic like oversight or um, you know, there's there's positions on these like collectives and these boards that, that are elected. Um, and one thing that people can do is they can try to get on the board. Mm-hmm. Um, they can try to um, set up elections about either like board membership or about like, specific policy points and then like pack the room with like supporters and get themselves elected on um, or just you know outright can campaigning like yeah. in, in a normal manner um, without doing anything sneaky yeah. um, to, to try to get on the board or to change uh, change rules yeah um, and I mean you know I definitely when I think about this I think about like 12-step groups where you know the individual groups in in 12-step in programs like, have their own little like rules and bylaws and and little like things that they do and you know some of them read one thing and not the other or some of them you have to stand up at the right, end and yeah. hold hands and some you don't whatever um, and basically like if you don't like something about it yeah. like, you can't just be like well I don't like it you yeah. know you have to go to the business meeting yeah. and you have to present it to the group totally. and, and you have to try to get it changed in a democratic manner and you can yeah and so it's like if you don't like it you can go to the meeting and yeah. you can talk to people and you can even bring people with you to try yeah. to vote you know um, there's like safeguards in place to make sure that it's all like more or less above board but there is a way to change anything that you don't like you know in AA. in in 12 step groups yeah yeah um sorry in 12 step groups yeah um and so i'm not saying that it's like that for every organization yeah, exactly. in the world yeah. it's it's definitely not but the reason why this came to me is i was just like oh yeah like sometimes the 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 solution is as simple as like if you don't like it go to a meeting totally you know um and and a lot of these collectives and stuff like it's it can be like quite thankless work and and it's just like kind of like tired volunteers yeah um and they could like welcome like some help you know and maybe maybe people especially people who are not themselves like super fucking canceled um but oppose this kind of thing like you could all join as a group and then be like whoop we changed the policy yeah exactly exactly Um, yeah so that's something that people could do yeah and I guess the final one um, that I will mention is this is like kind of like taking a different approach, but, and it's sort of unrelated, but I think it's also related, which is just that we can create new events, new presses, new cultural spaces um, that from their beginnings oppose this shit, right? Yeah. Um, And... I think there's lots of people who are trying to start experimenting with that and coming up with new ways of doing things. Um, but you can actually have like a a built-in um, policy in your organization and your event, whatever, that states that you oppose this stuff and you don't do it, right? Yeah. Um, it's definitely a way to bring controversy right off the bat, but it is also a way to like bring in a whole bunch of people who agree with you and to start building community that is not based in cancel culture. And like one example I will give of this is um, a group out of New York City um, called Uncensored New York. Um, and basically they are doing like literary and music events in New York um, and 
and they oppose cancel culture. And so basically they allow people who are being actively being canceled to perform at their events. And in last November, um, we went down, um, and went to one of the events I read and so did our friend Tara and, um, our friend Ben Hopkins, um, from New York played. And like, there was like a few people who were on the stage who were, are actively canceled who are experiencing active cancellation campaigns, you know? Um, and there were so many people who came out who know me from Instagram or know the pod and were like super excited. And like lots of canceled people were in the audience. Um, and what the organizers did is they, and I think New York city is like a especially good place to do something like this. You know, it would be harder in smaller places. Um, but basically they just like went around to venues and were like, this is the situation. Like we, we need a venue that is going to be okay with getting an insane amount of pushback, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and you need to know that you will be getting calls. You will be getting posts and tags and people are going to be really mad about it. There's even the possibility that people could show up. So you're probably going to need to have security at the event, you know? Yeah. Um, but it was just like a regular bar and it had bouncers. That's pretty much it. Yeah. They found a bar and the bar was like, yeah, we don't even know what the fuck that means. It's fine. Yeah. Know? And they were fine with it. And so we did, and there were people who tried to get the event canceled, but they did not succeed. And the event was like fucking amazing. So I would like to encourage people to like think of creative things like this where it's like yes like we can absolutely challenge um existing events existing structures um and try to get them to change and we can also create things that um that match with our values um and start to model that there's different ways to build community that don't rely on cancel culture yeah and frankly like taking the long view like organizations and institutions that are not based on like like snitching and like imploding yeah. every five seconds, yes. like are likely to last longer and are also likely to attract like normal people, yeah. like regular ordinary people who are not in these like hipster, like sub scenes, you totally. know? Um, which is like literally what we need for the left. And like, I was just actually, I was saying this to Clementine earlier today. Like what we need is like sketchy people and normal people on the left. Like, like not that like, the currently existing left is not like welcome on the left. You know what I mean? But like we need more sketchy people and more normal people, you know? Yeah. And like, yeah, just like, you know, ordinary people who are not like in these like hip scenes, but also people who have been like, you know, like, up to some, up to no good, basically, you know, people who have had, like, lots of contact with, like, the street or people who are, like, you know, coming out of, like, fucking prisons and stuff like that, you know, like, we also need those people. Yeah. Like, we, we need them not only because they, like, deserve to have, like, yeah. a, a political home, but also because they often have, like, lots lots of, like, um, skills and tools and, and, and contacts and, and stuff to that, offer, that yeah. are, like, useful. Yeah. Totally. Like, no one is disposable means no one is disposable, you know? And it means that not only that all people deserve to have community, but it also means that we are enriched by allowing our communities to be filled with all sorts of different kinds of people. Yeah, for sure. And and organizations are going to be more like resilient if if people with um, those kinds of backgrounds are not just like immediately excluded. You yeah. Know? So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. We always joke that like twelve steps is like such a a good example of this because you have like just like a whole range of people from people who have done like serious crimes and have spent time in jail and like you know, people who are, like, covered with tattoos and, like, just, like, you know, and then, like, you know, wine moms and, like, you know, like, an accountant and, like, just, like, other random people and, yeah. you know, like, people in their 70s and, like, some, like, 19-year-old who's, like, trying to get off crack and just, like, a whole bunch of people and and they are all sharing, you know, a common struggle and they're in a state of yeah. solidarity and unity, you know? I saw such a good meme today that was, like, uh... Oh, yeah, I think I shared this meme. Oh, yeah, well, it was, yeah, it's just, like, this guy in this, like, super dapper suit. Yeah. This, like, old guy who's just, like, chill- 
chilling and then beside him there's like this like super decked out punk with like a crazy yeah. mohawk and whatever and it's just like my sober friends also my sober yeah, friends yeah exactly anyways yeah yeah so we want like once again we want the left to be more like 12 step programs <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so we hope that this um, episode gave you guys some things to think about um, these are just some ideas but please brainstorm on this um, talk about it with your friends see what you guys think might be cool proactive strategies for challenging this kind of stuff definitely if you know about an event or a press or something that is like you know treating people in a really disposable way like sending an email is just like a really simple thing that you can do to show them that like you know not everybody agrees with it and like a lot of people are just doing this because they think they have no choice right and if you show them that actually they're not going to lose everything by by stopping this kind of behavior then they might actually be willing to stop and to move away towards something that is more in alignment with their own values um so thank you for listening um before we head out we want to remind people about the patreon um, is there anything more that you want to say? Well, yeah, just that I, I hope that... <laughs> you guys giving me this look. Like, I'm not done. Okay, okay, go ahead. Well, just that I hope people come away from this, like, knowing that there's, like, a way to react to cancel culture or, like, a stance that you can have against cancel culture that is, like, not only, you know maybe like more effective than just being reactive, you know, but it's also principled and organized and it allows you to stop deferring constantly to like, like very unscrupulous people in the nexus, you know? Um, and also that makes it a collective struggle and not just like an individual thing. It's not just you against everyone. It's like you and a group of people who collectively disagree with shit, um, uh, making a stance, you know? And that will allow us eventually to take back the left. Yeah. Like that's the end goal. You know, like we really need the left, um, to be by and for all of us. Um, and we can't be held hostage by people who are literally being bullies. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, so before we, before we leave, um, how's your existential crisis? How's my existential crisis? <laughs> a little I don't bit better. Know, man. A little bit better. I guess it's a bit better. Yeah. I, I think it's a bit better. Yeah. I, f- I feel a bit better. I don't know, man. It's hard out here. It is. Being a human. It is hard being a human. Um, and I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I think you're doing great. Yeah. I think you're doing great, babe. <laughs> I told Clementine today that I want to learn jujitsu and bake bread. I mean, I think it's beautiful. Um, and that these are things that I've always wanted to do but have never allowed myself to do. And I don't know why I've never allowed myself to do them. Well, I think you should do them, babe. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm struggling with that. I think that you will do them. There's like a part of, like, Clementine thinks that there's like a part <laughs> of me that's trying to keep me safe. I started, um... By not allowing me to bake bread? Yes. And I don't know why. But I know that it's true. I started, <laughs> I started to, uh, just throw a little, uh, internal family systems, uh, Richard Schwartz at Jay's existential crisis, which I'm known to do, um, when people are having existential crises. But yes, definitely, uh, check out No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. Schwartz. Um, <laughs> put a little IFS plug in at the end of the episode, and then you'll you'll find out why that part won't let you bake bread. Yeah. Um, um, if you want to, uh, to drop us a line, you can do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, fucking canceled. Uh, it's fu- yeah, fucking canceled at gmail.com. No, you and fucking, and there's two L's and canceled. Yeah. Um, we tend to be slow at getting back at emails, but you have to keep in mind that we're like entirely stressed out and <laughs> somewhat crazy and have like millions of things to do and also are, you know, um, doing our best. Yeah. You know? We um, do reply eventually. Though. We do. We do tend to reply eventually. We do our best to reply. Um, and again, yeah, you can check out the Patreon. Um, I feel like, you know, for the first year of this podcast we never really pushed the patreon um 
And I would like to change that. I think that, honestly, I think that we deserve support for the work that we're doing. It is hard work. Um, it is stressful to have so many haters coming for us all the time. Um, and also, like, we hold a lot of space for a lot of people. And I believe in what we're doing. I think that we are, you know, helping to contribute to a shift. Um, but signing up for Patreon is just, like, a concrete way that you can help things be a bit more stable for us over here at the pod and make it a more sustainable endeavor for us. Um, you know, and, um, so yeah, if you believe in the pod, check it out. It's like, uh, five bucks a month, which is like literally like a latte or something. Obviously if it's something that you can't afford, you're still absolutely welcome here. And we're very committed to not putting episodes behind paywalls. It's something that we believe in because we want these ideas available to everyone. But if it is something that you can afford, please consider it and check out the Patreon, um, patreon.com slash fucking canceled. Yeah. And, and one last thing too, is that, um, we just, I just want to say, um, since we're on this topic, if you order stuff from us on Big Cartel, thank you. Yeah. That's dope. Also, we're not Amazon. <laughs> we are like two punks in Montreal. Doing sometimes our best. in Montreal, sometimes not in Montreal. Yeah. Doing our best and literally just like sending stuff out in like envelopes. So yeah, like if we, you know, if we don't have like covers for like the zine that you buy, like we have to wait for the guy to silk screen covers totally. or whatever. It's a whole thing. Like we had like, a we don't have like a fucking factory like making zines for it. We had like so. a big delay with an order recently. Like a lot of people had ordered our refusing accountability zine, and then unfortunately we realized that we were out of covers and then our cover guy just there was he just did not get back to us and we kept pestering him anyway it took a lot longer than expected so we appreciate people's patience yeah and we're like we're sorry that sometimes it does take a long time i, I recognize that's annoying for sure but yeah. also just please have pity on us yeah and i mean this is this is like beyond fucking cancel like this kind of stuff is my full-time job and i'm honestly like i'm a zinster man like it takes me a while sometimes um and you should definitely expect definitely. um you should definitely expect slower um times than ordering from amazon um shout out chris malls sorry um yeah also like if you want tracking on your package like it's gonna it's gonna cost more than the fucking like shit that you're buying yeah we don't do tracking tracking, um but that being said if you ever don't get something like if something said it shit then it just doesn't arrive or you know whatever something weird happens like you get a zine with the pages in the wrong order or something like that please always email us we will absolutely send you a new one for free yeah. like yeah. um if if it just got lost in the mail like obviously that's beyond our control and like it literally does happen like more than you'd think but um, we'll send it to you again but we will definitely send it to you again just so don't open up fucking uh things with uh, no, uh paypal don't, don't call like, the manager on us don't call the manager on us man it can really fuck things up yeah um that's been happening to me personally in my own clementine morgan um zine hustle but whatever just uh let us know if if you don't get something and we'll definitely resend it um and yeah in terms of the patreon um we're definitely we've also been slacking on that because we have ten thousand things to do but i think as the um book starts to come to fruition we will be throwing up some more content for you guys um also we should probably mention it on every episode and we tend to forget but we do pay for transcription so basically all the episodes the past episodes are available as transcripts on the patreon for free so even if you're not a patron you can access them if you go onto the patreon you look for the episode it's attached as like an attachment to the bottom of the episode and you can read along with the episode or simply just read it if that's how you prefer to take in the content. Yeah. Um, and we put them up as they become available so it usually takes a couple weeks um, after 
after the episode goes live. And this is also what the, the Patreon, one of the things that the Patreon funds is us being able to pay a transcriber to do that work for us. Yeah, they're fucking expensive, so take advantage of it. <laughs> yeah, they are. Um, anyway, thank you so much for um, listening to the pod. Um, and we will hopefully be back again soon. Yep. See you. Bye, guys. Bye.